Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 12. I'm amazed at the depth that there is in the Sermon on the Mount. We just read through it and, you know, we think it's a beautiful sermon and people say it's one of the best sermons that ever was ever preached and, it, and I'm certainly it was. But when you stop and go into the depth of the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it is overwhelming and it is very, very insightful. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here Jesus, after describing the right kind of Christian character, in the Beatitudes, then he proceeds to show us how such a character should impact society. He tells us about this fabulous character, blessed are the poor, and blessed are they that mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those that are merciful, and those that are pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, what a resume for anybody to have and to have those kinds of qualities. But those qualities, as great as they are, they mean nothing if you don't let your light shine. They don't mean anything unless we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So he explains these beatitudes in this beautiful character and how such a character like that should have such an impact upon the culture. And then he moves from the inwardness of Christianity, from the inwardness of a good character, to the outward influence. He moves from our respectability to our responsibility. It's one thing to be good, but if you hide your goodness under a bushel, if you live it in secret, and like many, live it in a monastery or a convent, under monastic vows doesn't make it biblical and doesn't make it right, which then leads to a doctrine of celibacy, which then leads to greater temptations because God said it was not good for man to be alone. 
And so when we went through those periods of the dark ages, the gospel of Jesus Christ was lost sight of. And the revelation tells you about a great mountain that was cast into the sea, talking about the church. It fell into the hands of men, carnal men. And out of the hands and minds of carnal men, up came systems of religion that were deadly. They were dark. They were deceptive. And they did inestimable damage to the kingdom of God. And these doctrines that sprung up through the reign of Roman Catholicism, convents and monasteries and monastic vows, they led to a lot of trouble because they were not accurate doctrines. They led to, as I said, the doctrine of celibacy, which led to greater temptations because God said, as I said, was not good for man to be alone. Therefore, he ordained the institution of marriage to bring mankind a fuller life with the blessings of children and the blessings of companionship. The Bible speaks plainly to this issue when Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1, a text that is not too often preached on, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the gospel age is the latter times. We're in the latter times now, but we're in the last seal of the latter times. We're in the seventh seal. There is no eighth seal, no ninth seal, no tenth seal. Seven is a complete number. It fulfills all that God had planned. And we're in the seventh seal. And Timothy says, now the Spirit speaks specifically, expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. Who was forbidding people and their leaders and their priests to marry? It was papal Rome. And who was commanding to abstain from meats? It was papal Rome, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So Christian America, Christian churches, Christian politicians, Christian school teachers, and Christian professors, and Christian businessmen, and Christians wherever you are. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But a whole lot of damage proceeded. Set the churches back years when what they were showing to the world 
and the light that they were throwing out to the world was not the light of God. It was a light that was doing damage. It was a light that was deceiving people. It was a light that slowed down the force of the church. And the church in the first century was going forth, conquering and to conquer. And they conquered paganism. They overcame the dragon and, and, and his angels and his ministries. And, and paganism was cast down. And when the devil saw that great defeat, he thought the best way to beat him was to join him. And he came up out of the sea, a beast. Had seven heads and ten horns. Had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. And it was a system that looked like Christianity, but it wasn't. And then he came up after the Reformation almost defeated Roman Catholicism, almost dealt a death blow, came up with another system that came up out of the earth. One came up out of the sea, multitudes, kindreds, nations. And this other one came up out of the earth. These were not churches, institutions that came down from God. They came up from out of the earth. They come up out of the minds of carnal men, evil men. And there was much damage. And so another beast come up out of the earth. And it looked like a lamb. And this beast was more dangerous because it looked like Christianity. It had two horns representing the two countries in which it broke out, Protestantism. But in both cases, the one that came up out of the sea and the one that came up out of the earth, the one that came out of the sea, the devil gave that system and that man his great seat, power, and authority. And that's when pagan Rome, with a Caesar at the head of it, went to papal Rome with a pope at the head of it. <coughs> and then the other one looked like a lamb, <clears throat> but John said, it spake as a dragon. So the devil was behind both institutions. While I was studying this, I thought about a president of the United States, how he said on live TV in front of the whole world, and he looked at one of the reporters who was always trying to keep him honest, and he didn't know he had an open mic, and he said, well, that guy's nothing but an SOB. But he professes to be a Catholic. Not everything that glitters is gold. And some of the brightest minds in the world, some of the best conservatives in the country, when it comes to religion, 
They're lost in the weeds. Now I factor into that that a man or a woman, they only see what they see. And there are people that are outside of what we call the church of God that may be as saved as we are saved. As long as they are walking in the light that God has showed them, but they only see what they see. Where we come in and where we are more responsible, the Bible says where there's much light, there's a greater responsibility. So we are in a more dangerous situation than those who are only living to the light they have. And it may be a million miles from what the Bible really teaches. But you and I who have sat under preaching for a hundred plus years have heard the truth, at least a good part of the truth, for years. Where much is given, much is required. Jesus is saying to us, what good is it calling ourselves Christians if our goodness is not functional, if our goodness is not visible, if our goodness doesn't serve its purpose. Verse 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And one of the greatest tragedies when it comes to Christians letting their light shine is they have lost their light, having been deceived by seducing spirits, errant doctrines, and traditions of men. The pagan world, the cults, man-made religions, have done inestimable damage to Christianity. The pagan world has their idea of good men. The world has its idea of good men. Nominal religion has their idea of good men. The Pharisees have their idea of good men. But the prophet Micah's statement in Micah 6.8 gives a balanced statement for these dark days in which we live. Listen to what he says. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That's a formula for success. That's a lot of truth in a nutshell. What are Christians good for if they can't get their light out from under the bushel? and into the open. Look at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand what Jesus is saying here? Not everyone who wears a martyr's expression 
is suffering because of their righteousness. False religions are making martyrs by the millions and they have no place in the ranks of the righteous who are living righteously. Many believers are suffering persecution because of their ugly dispositions and their attitudes, because of their wild and extreme doctrines and beliefs which are grossly unbecoming to the Holy Spirit, because of their appearances, religious pride, and inability to rightly divide the word of God. They bring pure religion into disrepute. They are not respectable in character or appearance due due to their extremes and lack of understanding and the principles of holiness. And sadly, they are hated of all men, not for the kingdom of heaven's sake, but because they are persons with whom it is impossible to live. There are professing Christians who don't make sinners thirsty. They make them mad. And they can see in their beliefs and in their demeanor and how they carry on in their worship. Some of the craziest religions are right here in central Ohio. Columbus is full of them. They carry on. They scream. They yell. Their lives are not what they ought to be. And they think the louder they can be, then the more holier they are. And there's so much deception and darkness out there. And it behooves you and I to get it right and to know how to let our light shine. I'm going to let this little light of mine shine. I'm going to let this little light of mine shine. The children learn how it, how to do it. God help us to learn how to do it. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand what Jesus is saying here? I'm repeating, not everyone who wears a martyr's expression is suffering because they are righteous. They're suffering because they may be ignorant. They're suffering because they're unaware of what the Bible really teaches. They're suffering because they don't understand how God wants them to live, how God wants them to act, how God wants them to behave. They are not respectable in character or appearance due to their extremes and lack of understanding of the principles of holiness. And sadly, they are hated of all men. 
all kinds of religions have come into play in our country. And the list just keeps growing and growing and growing. History has shown us what religion without righteousness and holiness can do to those who are truly the children of God. The dark ages of papal Rome's rule. Following that, the 30-year Rome, Protestant wars between Protestant and Protestant and Catholic and Catholic. A minimum of 90 million people were martyred, burned at the stake, tortured, torn apart by horses. All because of religion. And the battle continues to this day. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus is saying the joy of being right, it's a hard way to go. The righter you are, the holier you are, the more like Christ you are, the more you're going to be attacked. The more the world's going to come after you. The joy of being right is the hard way because it's the right way. No lineage is nobler or greater or more blessed than belonging to the family of God, the church of the living God. Why? Verse 10 lets us know why. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The closer you get to God, the more people are going to dislike you. The more they're going to turn their guns on you. That's what the leaders of our country are doing right now. They're pointing their guns. Matthew 20 is being fulfilled right before our eyes. They're coming out of the four corners of the earth, numbered as the sands of the seashore. And they're coming out upon the earth. And who are they after? They're encompassing the camp of the saints, the beloved city. They're coming after us. Us who are living like God. Us who are letting their light shine. The first thing Hitler had to do was get rid of religion. And then get rid of other political leaders. We're entering into that time. But no lineage is nobler or greater or more blessed than belonging to the family of God. We do not possess the kingdom because we suffer and endure. We suffer and endure because we possess the kingdom. 
You see, a man does not know. Young believers do not know. A lot of Christians are not getting it. They do not know what the dominion of this world means till they reject it and accept the dominion of Christ. When we accept the dominion of Christ in our lives and reject the world and no longer want the world to have dominion over our lives, no longer look like the world or act like the world or talk like the world, then Satan turns his guns on those kinds of people. The world shows its true and ugly colors as it attacks the camp of the saints with all its evil wokeness and cancel culture arrogance and bullying intimidation and politically correct garbage and on and on it goes. The world has countless ways to attack the children of God, but blessed are the churches, blessed are the saints, who can offer a spiritual opposition and truth to a world in utter darkness. Blessed are those who can take the word of God and open it up and tell this old world, you're wrong. You're going to hell if you don't change your ways. But there's not enough Christians that can stand up. Not enough Christians, not enough churches in this country are standing up. That's why so much stuff got unloosed in this country. Because our pulpits were silent. There's a fellow in this audience right now who has a neighbor. And that neighbor comes over to him and talks to him and uses the F word and the other kind of word and swears like a trooper. Carries on. He's an ungodly person. But he's saved. And you got to say to people like that, and there's a lot of them in Newark. You got to say to people like that, how can you talk like that? How can you act like that? How can you use the Lord's name in vain? How can you live like anything but a Christian and yet think you're a Christian? What's your preacher telling you? What's he preaching? And there's people in this city and in my neighborhood and in your neighborhood. And I've talked to them. I've invited them to, I invited them to church. They don't have time for church. Oh, but they love God. Well, somebody needs to get in their face in a nice way and tell them what is a Christian and what is not. That's why our country is going down the drain. The truth is not being preached. And when the attitudes out there get in here, and thank God they don't, at least, I hope they don't. The world has countless ways 
of trying to slow us down. Thank God for those who can stand up. Now we understand why Jesus said to his disciples, ye are the salt of the earth. What's he mean? You see, salt has that quality that keeps things from rotting and stinking and going bad. That's what salt does. Salt is a spiritual metaphor. It's a universal antiseptic that God was given the church, Jesus. Referring to the saints' influence upon the world, the purifying influence of Christ in the saints eats into the roots of the moral corruption of sinners. It awakens the sleeping conscience and the shame of sinners. There is nothing exciting about salt. But it works. And I'm afraid that the saints listen to, watch, and hear, and get around things that are stinking, that are smelling. And they're not standing up. They're not saying, I don't appreciate that. They're not saying to their friends who are using the Lord's name in vain. They don't think of saying anything to them like, that name that you keep using in blasphemous ways is that same name that's taken me to heaven. But we wouldn't think of saying that because our light, in too many cases, is under a bushel. The only hope that this world has is those who are the light and those who are salt. You see, our lives are to have a purifying influence of Christ in the saints' eats. And the saints' lives eat into the roots of that moral corruption of a sinner. It awakens, it reminds sinners. Oh, I know they'll get mad. No matter how nice you are about it, they're going to get mad. But if this light doesn't get out of our hearts and into the culture, into those that we run around with, then our lights are under a bushel.
There's nothing exciting about salt. It's just one of those ordinary, quiet things in life. It is one of those things in the world which do their work simply by being what they are. The business of the Christians is to keep things sensible and sweet. Have you noticed in the Bible how Jesus was not a man with a lot of drama? Have you noticed Jesus don't jump around and scream and yell and hold his fist up in God's face? Why did you do it? Why did you take my loved one? Paul said in the Colossian letter, let your speech be seasoned with salt always. Let it have some depth, depth. Let it have some sincerity. Let it have some thought. In what sense were the disciples the light of the world? So salt has its influence. Our holiness, our manners, our lives. If the, if the salt is working, it'll make those around us thirsty. It'll make them at least question the way they're talking or the way they're acting. And sometimes that's all it takes for the Holy Spirit to have an opening to somebody's heart. In what sense were the disciples the light of the world? Jesus did not mean that his followers could match the great thinkers in the intellectual world. When Jesus pointed to his disciples and pointed to the church and said, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, when he was saying you were the light of the world, he's not trying to compare the intellectuality of the church to the great thinkers of the world. What Jesus was saying is that his saints, his church, they had an inner secret, an inner experience that was so far greater benefit to the pursuit of peace and happiness than all the intellectual minds of the world. The saints have a better way to live. They know the secret to happiness and to peace and to joy. They may not be able to match wits with the, with the intelligent people, the intellectual society of this world, but they know a secret that the world doesn't even come close to knowing. <coughs> the world thinks that education can save them. But we see today that's a joke. 
Today our world is in a mess and it's getting worse every day. And when you see our educators, the top educators in our world, bringing the kind of things into kindergarten and first and second and third graders and showing them the movies and the things that no child should see until they're 15. That's not intellectualism. That's rebellion. That's the devil. That's Satan trying to get your generation right out from under you and take them right out of your laps. Education can't save nobody. Politics, wealth, power, prosperity, nor military might have proven to improve our quality of life. We've got the greatest technology. We've got everything going for us. But we can't keep our marriages together. We can't keep our kids straight. We can't keep our own lives straight. We can't keep drugs out of our country, drunkenness. Everything is coming unglued, and we've got the best of everything. We kill babies by the millions yearly and each other by the thousands daily in our cities. We can keep our marriages intact like we can't keep our marriages intact like we used to. We can't stop crime and drugs and drunkenness and violence in the streets. We've got intellectual, intellectual people saying defund the police. We don't know the difference between males and females, boys and girls. We talk about fender benders and the need for road signs, speed limits and lights, but when it comes to gender benders, we've lost our minds. We've lost common sense. Our children have access to every evil imaginable. We accommodate and we make easily accessible and available to them through our medias and technology and education every evil imaginable. Not one ungodly evil is, is withdrawn from our children. And now we call them into a classroom and we, we teach them how that ungodliness is normal. And then we call for the experts to give us answers when something goes wrong or a son or daughter dies of drugs or someone gets shot in the city or some innocent baby sitting in the crib, a bullet hits her in the head. And then we call in the experts and we say to the experts, how did this happen? Give us answers. That's ignorance at its best. What's wrong, world? 
Jesus answers the question in the same sermon in Matthew 6.23. In the same sermon, in the next chapter, he says, If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. And then he makes the greatest statement, one of the greatest statements in the Bible. If therefore the light that is in thee is darkness, how great is that darkness. So what are these elements of light which Christians have to show the world? Very quickly, things that are fundamentally necessary to the progress of peace and the well-being of our culture, our society. What's the secret to happiness and contentment? The Bible has the answer for every family, every child, every boy or girl. The Bible has the answer. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Human nature, apart from God, has a tendency to seek happiness. When men are separated from God, they go after happiness with a vengeance. And how do they do it? They try to satisfy and find happiness in material things, clothing, food, entertainments, amusement, pleasures, trends. And on and on the list goes. What do you think when you see people? We were in a restaurant Sunday. And two people came in. And I couldn't tell which was which. And they sat right next to our table. I didn't look at him scornfully. I looked at him pitifully. Because they had every color they could imagine in their hair. They had gross piercings all over their face. I'm not even calling that a sin. I'm not throwing rocks. But I got enough sense to know that's dead wrong. That that's not the right way to go. Not to mention how they were dressed. It was a pitiful scene. And yet it's become popular today. So popular our mothers are dressing that way. Our fathers are dressing that way. Our uncles are dressing that way. Our grandfathers are dressing that way. It's not a sin. It's just the wrong way to live. 
And you know what all that says to me? They need help. They're looking for something. Why do they dress like they do? Why do they act like they do? Why do they say? They may be in rebellion, but they're looking for something. It's a sad state of affairs. You see, the more that a man has, the more, that, the more he wants. Appetites all of a sudden become insatiable. The hunger and thirst increases until addictions take over the minds. And the more people want, especially free things these days, to live like that, the more bankrupt the world and their souls are becoming. So how are we the light of the world? We are the light of the world when we try to help the world to see our discoveries. what we found in God, what we found in Christ, what we found in the word of God. If we can share those discoveries with the world, and share such discoveries that this material world, this temporal world, was never ever designed by God to satisfy our beings. The reason this world will never satisfy, even as Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, it still isn't going to satisfy you. Why? Because we were made with eternity in our hearts. We're not made for a temporal present world. We're made for an eternal world. Look at the people that have everything in Hollywood. Look at the billionaires. Look at the millionaires. They live in castles. And the only difference is they got more doors to slam than we do. But they're not happy because God never ordained for things to make us happy. I mean happy down here, satisfied down here. And if we can share our discoveries of how God has showed us what is really right and what is really wrong, this material world, this temporal world can never satisfy our being until 
as far as the world, until their center of interests are changed from material things to spiritual things, they'll never find the secret to happiness. What other way can we be the light of the world? It's by showing the world what real success is. The world's idea of success is to get, to get wealth and to get power and to get money and to get pleasure and to get things. But the real things in life are not the things we possess. The real things in life are our relationships, our families, our affections for one another. They are the eternal things that will go beyond the existence of this world. All our possessions are, are just dust and ashes. The real world is not this world. We can see it seeing. The real world is being able to see him who is invisible and that invisible world. At best, we're here 70, 80, 90 years. And we go to our long home, our eternal home. As I close, as I close listen to what Wesley wrote in his old age. He said, when riches increase, they are accompanied by pride, anger, and the love of the world in all of its forms. Wesley went on to say about money, I fling it out of my hands as quickly as possible, lest it should find a way into my heart. Oh, I want to tell you, that's true. Believe me, that's true. We are the light of the world by showing them we found, and I'm not against riches. I'm against riches owning us. I'm against riches controlling us. We are the light of the world by showing them we found God in it. To be in the world but not of the world, to enjoy its pleasures because God made them and God gives them to us to feel the splendor of life and yet not to worship the things he blesses us with. There's nothing wrong with things as long as things don't own us, don't control us. Things don't keep us from worshiping God. Things don't keep us from serving God. To enter into our business and yet not allow it to absorb all of our time so as to destroy our souls, that's the real secret and the real art of living. Enjoy the things we have and never forget that we hold them for God's purposes. When the master calls for your donkey, unhitch it. Maybe this is a good time to say this. I notice that when we have camp meetings, sometimes we need houses for the saints to live in. 
but there's only a handful of people that ever feel inclined to open their homes to the saints. And the Bible says the saints are given to hospitality. Now, if you've got 35 kids, I understand that. You don't need any more people. I know what you're thinking. But what God's thinking is now more important than what I'm thinking. That's why Jesus said, if you try to save your life, live it the way you want to live it. He said, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you're going to find it. Enjoy the things that we have and never forget that we hold them for God's purpose. And when the, don when the master calls for your donkey, we become the ultimate light of the world when we can show, when we can show the world the character of Christ in us, the hope of the world. And that is good and beautiful in this world. All that is good and beautiful in this world has been spoiled. Has been spoiled by the hands of sinful men. So, let's go out of here this evening And let's throw some light on the world. Okay? Let's go out here and whoever you work with tomorrow, wherever, whoever's path you cross, throw some light out on the world. You never know what a little light will do. It only takes one ray to hit a heart. And the Holy Spirit can take it the rest of the way. We are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. What a responsibility. God help us. Amen? I want to thank you for your amens tonight. You were generous. So let's go out and let's let our let our little light shine. All right? Amen.